Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. As we gather for ordered worship, the liturgy, music, and homily this Lord's Day are offered in the praise of God for our congregation here within Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership now and later around the globe at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful or material support, your written or emailed response, your self-selection of forms of leadership and service in our midst, and as the Spirit moves come Sunday, your presence with us in worship. We gather to worship in the spirit of one who wrote, drop thy still dews of quietness till all our strivings cease. Take from our souls the strain and stress and let our ordered lives confess the beauty of thy peace. This is the day the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
we pray. Grant us, Lord, not to be anxious about earthly things, but to love things heavenly. And even now, while we are placed among things that are passing away, to hold fast to those that shall endure. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. We come now and the choir will lead us to a moment of confession to receive God's pardon. We recognize with Mr. John Wesley that the first question of faith is, do you know God to be a pardoning God? God forgives, God is gracious, God embraces, accepts, and loves. You trust that, I trust, or you wouldn't be here. You trust that God forgives you. But there's also the matter of others forgiving you. And you know, other people can and will do so. People can be very forgiving. Why? Because it takes one to know one. We are all more human than anything else. God forgives you. Others will forgive you. You may need to ask or pray or both. But there's a harder moment still. Trusting that God forgives you. Trusting that others forgives you, forgive you. Now you're going to need to Forgive yourself. Let yourself off the hook. Let yourself relax into the divine grace. As the choir sings, we ask the gift of God's love to tell us again that God forgives us, others forgive us, and we may forgive ourselves. Let us pray. Breathe through the pulses of desire, thy coolness and thy balm. 
Let sense be dumb, let flesh retire. Speak through the earthquake, wind, and fire. Thou still, small voice of calm. Beloved, hear good news. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 8, verse 18 through chapter 9, verse 1. My joy is gone. Grief is upon me. My heart is sick. Hark the cry of my poor people from far and wide in the land. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king not in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their images, with their foreign idols? The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. For the hurt of my poor people, I am hurt. I mourn, and dismay has taken hold of me. There is no bomb in Gilead, there is no physician there. Why then has the health of my poor people not been restored? Oh, that my head were a spring of water and my eyes a fountain of tears so that I might weep day and night for the slain of my poor people. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
A lesson from St. Paul's first epistle to Timothy, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all who are in high positions, so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and dignity. This is right and is acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, there is also one mediator between God and humankind, Christ Jesus, himself human, who gave himself a ransom for all. This was attested at the right time. For this I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in saying verses from Psalm 79 with the antiphon. The nations have come into your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. They have given the bodies of your servants to the birds of the air for food, flesh of your faithful to the wild animals on the earth. They have poured out their blood like water all around Jerusalem, and there was no one to bury them. We have become a taunting thing. How long, O Lord, will you be angry forever? Will your jealous wrath burn like fire? Pour out your anger on the nations who do not know you, and on the kingdoms that do not call on your name. We have devoured Jacob, and erased his habitation. Do not remember against us the iniquities of our ancestors. Let your compassion come speedily to meet us, for we are brought very low. Help us, God of our salvation, with the glory of your name. For us, forgive our sins, for your name's sake. Let us stand as we are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel.
Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. Then Jesus said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. Then the manager said to himself, What will I do now that my master is taking the position away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he asked the first, How much do you owe my master? He answered, A hundred jugs of olive oil. He said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it fifty. Then he asked another, And how much do you owe? He replied, A hundred containers of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and make it eighty. And his master commanded the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much. And whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust you to their true, true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. The Gospel of the Lord.
Please be seated. Before us today stands Jesus Christ, robed in mystery and announced in a strange parable. There is no easy interpretation for this parable. Why is its hero, my favorite accountant, commended for dishonesty, which is a breach of the ninth commandment? We do not know. Why is his master happy to be cheated? We cannot say. Why is an accountant's swindle upheld in this parable here attributed to Jesus as a preparation somehow for heaven itself? No one can easily tell. What please does verse 9, as tangled in the Greek as it is in your bulletin, what does it intend? Make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous mammon, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal habitations. We do not see. What possible connection is there between the story and the four trailing proverbs? Little at all, except that they all deal with money. How did this story make it into Luke's travel narrative? It is not clear. Is this dishonest manager our role model in the church as we try to manage wealth in the direction of justice? Perhaps. And most of all, where is Jesus, the divine mystery, the divine mystery incarnate, spirit and presence both, to be found in our reading today? The parable of the dishonest steward has really just one lasting meaning, and it is very good news. Hear the gospel. Faith gives spiritual health in the midst of challenge and change, including the transition into college life, in the voice of presence, spirit, spirit, presence, spirited presence. Let us recall the mystery of Christ, the stranger in our midst, spirit, presence. We can announce his spirited presence today, again today. He is among us, dealing with issues we dismiss, speaking with people whom we dislike, considering options we disdain, selecting vocations that do not yet fully exist, expanding spaces that we constrict, accepting lifestyles that we reject, attending to possibilities that we ignore, approaching horizons that we avoid, healing wounds that we disguise, questioning assumptions that we enjoy, protecting persons whom we mistreat, making allowances that we distrust. So strangely, strangely, he is among us. For the mystery of Jesus Christ falls upon us, approaches us, and enchants us when and where we least expect him. Say Luke 16 and a dishonest steward. In the strange world of the Bible, in the midst of the community of strangers known as the church, hidden in the brutal estrangement 
of our personal life. Here, behold the Lord Jesus Christ, l'étranger, the stranger. His spirited presence is neither simple, nor surface, nor easy, nor fundamental, nor shallow, nor ideological, nor one-dimensional, nor ahistorical, nor primarily political. He draws us, lures us, enchants us. And so he sets us free. For St. Luke in chapters 9 to 19 has captured a collage of portraits of Jesus. Jesus, we could say, on the road. We are on a journey, as Luke reminds the church, reminding us today, we haven't arrived. We are making a trip to the promised land. We haven't arrived. We are headed in a certain direction. We haven't arrived. With our spiritual forebears, we are traveling on a journey, on the way. We're not there yet. Israel left Canaan to go to Egypt to find bread. There they became the slaves of Pharaoh. But Moses led them out, parted the Red Sea, and guided them through the wilderness. He brought them the Ten Commandments. At last he sent them forth with Joshua to inhabit the land flowing with milk and honey. In such a glorious land they hunted and farmed. They even built a temple and chose a king or three. Samuel, Saul, David, and Solomon reigned, but were followed by less wise and less strong leaders. Although the prophets did warn them, listen to Jeremiah this autumn again. The children of Israel left their covenant and their covenant God and at last suffered the greatest of defeats, the destruction of Jerusalem and the return to slavery in Babylon, 587 BCE. On these hundred years of history, painful history, depends the cry of Jeremiah today, oh, that my head were a spring of water and my eyes a fountain of tears, so that I might weep night and day for the slain of my poor people. Like Israel marching in chains to Babylon and then trudging home again two generations later, we people of faith, you and I, were on a journey from slavery to freedom and we're not there yet. Along the way, faith heals manages and handles the hardest of change, personal and communal. Luke's mysterious Christ meets us today hidden in the maelstrom of wild, unexpected change and economic crisis. On the road, the journey of faith, the Gospel of Luke has most to say about and Jesus most regularly addresses the issue of money. Remember how Luke traces the gospel all this year. Recall, Mary in the Magnificat honors the poor. John the Baptist preaches justice in the great unique tradition of the Hebrew prophets from Amos forward. Let justice roll down as waters and righteousness as an ever 
flowing stream. Isaiah's words and hopes are affirmed in the holy love of God for those outside, the least, the last, the lost. Remember, Jesus blesses the poor in Luke. Not just the poor in spirit, that's Matthew, but the poor in Luke, in the Sermon on the Plain. Remember the parable of the rich fool. Tonight is your soul required of you, and these riches, who shall they be? Luke sets Christian discipleship at odds with, in contest with, anxiety about possessions. And by the way, get ready in a week or two in conclusion to meet again Lazarus and Dives. Jesus Christ calls us to manage our possessions toward justice. Jesus Christ and him crucified calls us to manage our possessions toward justice, both as a community and as a community of faith and as a community of individuals. Our son Bed said once of his grandfather, I just love to hear his voice. One year, his grandfather survived a nearly mortal illness. There are not words to convey the joy, the gratitude that we, his family, experienced in his escape. You who have been on the brink of death of late know precisely and can appreciate the gospel spirit presence. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. That's a later gospel. But not all such deliverance has an earthly horizon. Some freedom and some grace must await as we cross the river. Not just this river, but that one. Not just the Charles, but the Jordan, the Jordan the Jordan. My father and mother lived here in Boston, 1950 to 1953, and in 1975, <clears throat> he wrote the following sentences in the back of an old book. The temptation for the people of the church in every age is to believe, A, that Jesus is only human, or B, that Jesus only appeared to be human. For those who settle on A, there is no power, no mystery, no pull to pry them out of much of life. For those who choose B, there is no hope because humankind cannot ascend the heights of divinity alone. Both are heresies. The pious, wise folks of 325 CE saw, though they could not explain it fully, that Christ Jesus was fully human, and fully divine, spirit and presence, presence and spirit. My parents departed from Boston in 1953, just as Howard Thurman came to town. On this alumni weekend, with pride, we remember Howard Thurman. The Reverend Peter Gomes from across the river recalled one year as he and I exchanged pulpits that 
George Buttrick and Howard Thurman used to do the same on a regular basis. Thurman's voice carries us into two, two dimensions, Luke 16, two realms of reality. Thurman was 100 years ahead of his time 50 years ago, so he's still 50 years ahead of you and me. He evoked the Christ of common ground, transcendent, universal, shared, unconfined, free, and he evoked the Christ of the disinherited, imminent, particular, grasped, embodied, back against the wall. Two Christs, two dimensions of one Christ, spirit and presence, calling out to you to know the grain of your own wood and not to cut against the grain of your own wood. So this morning we turn for support to Howard Thurman with the help of three fine Boston University students this morning. We turn to his book, The Search for Common Ground, and we turn to his other book, Jesus and the Disinherited. Thurman and Transcendence, read The Search for Common Ground. Spirit, spirit. Hillary, what does Howard Thurman say about spirit? As Thurman wrote in The Search for Common Ground, the hoping Indian myth carries still in its thematic emphasis on the memory of a lost harmony. There's a unity of living structures that in includes rocks, plants, animals, and humans, antibodies and antigens, and the arrangement of a cell in a human child. Thurman cites Plato, until philosophers are king and polit politicians, greatness and wisdom meet in one and those commoners, nations who pursue either to the extent of other are compelled to stand aside. Cities will never have rest from their evil. In the voice of Howard Thurman, a hundred years ahead of his time, 50 years ago, there is a regard for mystery silence, presence, the transcendent, one in kinship with all of creation, one in kinship with every human being, so that nothing human is foreign to us, one in transformative engagement with our natural world, our home, our condition, our climate, our circumstance, one in openness to the great differences and diversities a personal, that is to say, religious expression, including myths from long ago and far away. The spirit. Then too, Thurman and Eminence, Jesus and the disinherited. Mahalia, what did Howard Thurman say about presence? Jesus rejected hatred. It was not because he lacked the vitality or the strength. It was not because he lacked the incentive. Jesus rejected hatred because he saw that hatred meant death to the mind, death to the spirit, death to communion with his father. He affirmed life and hatred was the great denial. There is something more to be said about the inner equipment growing out of the great affirmation of Jesus that a man is a child of God. If a man's ego has been stabilized, resulting in a sure grounding of his sense of personal worth and dignity, then he is in a position to appraise his own intrinsic powers, gifts, 
talents, and abilities. He no longer views his equipment through the darkened lenses of those who are largely responsible for his social position. The basic fact is that Christianity, as it was born in the mind of this Jewish teacher and thinker, appears as a technique of survival for the oppressed. In him was life, and the life was the light of all people. Wherever the spirit appears, the oppressed gather fresh courage. For he announced good news that fear, hypocrisy, and hatred, the three hounds of hell that track the trail of the disinherited, need have no dominion over them. The presence as well. How will you live out the deep truths, spirit, and presence? Have you truly intuited the brevity of life? Have you really absorbed the capacity we have as humans to harm others? Have you faced the dualism of decision that is the marrow of every Sunday morning, every hymn, every scripture, every anthem, every prayer, every sermon? Are you ready to make a break for it? Are you ready to discover freedom in disappointment, grace in dislocation, and love in departure? Are you ready to place one hand in that of spirit and the other in that of presence? As director Catherine Kennedy once said, the beauty of Howard Thurman is that he wasn't trying to convert people to his own brand of Christianity. Rather, he wanted people to see that there is a common ground we, we can reach by respecting one another's differences while still holding on to those beliefs that are uniquely ours. Jan and I came over to Boston 14 years ago in order to invest the last third of our ministry in the next generation of preachers, teachers, and ministers of the gospel. You are here today in part because of that same commitment and investment. You hear today voices that will change the world of the future and for the better. A few years ago, I asked in Thurman fashion, a half a dozen undergraduates to say something direct about Jesus. Tom, what did they say? Jesus is all the world to me, loves me, is perpetually ripe, means freedom, shows us that self-giving love is the way to life is my transforming friend, has got my back, is the consoler of the poor, the lamp of the poor, is unconditional love, is the constant companion on life's journey, my greatest gift, patient pursuer in love with us, the hound of heaven, friend on the journey, challenges us because he loves us, brings out our best self. He is known in the promise of this season, reflected in the joys of autumn, 
overheard in the words and vows of commitment, expanded into the lengthening evening daylight, enjoyed in the gatherings of families and friends, celebrated in the ceremonies of completion, and carried forward from this hour of worship and day of remembrance. In the words of Emily Dickinson, I stepped from plank to plank, a slow and cautious way. The stars above my head I felt, about my feet the sea. I knew not but the next would be my final inch. This gave me that precarious gait, some call experience. Beloved, hear the gospel of Christ Jesus our Lord, spirit, presence, presence, spirit. Amen. We now come to the time in our service when we turn our hearts and minds to prayer and lift up our lives and ourselves to God. Please assume an attitude and posture of prayer by either remaining seated, standing, kneeling, or coming to the communion rail as we sing together our call to prayer, Lead Me, Lord. Creator of the universe, who grounds our being and is the structure in which we can grasp at love itself, truth itself, and beauty itself. We pray for those who have come through this university before us and will come through after us. We pray that they may continue to, in grasping at these structures of reason, seek justice in our justice-bearing university and find the sound of the genuine in their pursuits of learning, virtue, and piety. For in doing so, our next generation of global citizens may courageously engage with the tensions of modernity and reflect the courage of the new being in their engagements. We pray this through the new being, Christ, who has moved through and in many who have journeyed alongside this space in the past. Howard Thurman, Martin Luther King Jr., Anna Howard Shaw, Samuel D. Proctor, Walter M. Welder, and many others. God of justice, God of mercy, who we encounter in the frightening beauty, fiery holiness, and in friend and stranger. We pray for community, for our community, and for the communities that make up our city, our state, our nation, and the institutions in and around us that underpin our societies. 
We pray for communities, big and small, for the tapestries and tents that our communities of identity and culture exist in, and for the tapestries and tents that house and tent these tapestries of community. We pray that we continue to build communities and have intentionality in fostering hospitality, diversity, inclusion, and the love of one another. For it is in each other that we often find you, and it is only in our diversity that we might truly grasp at you and at truth itself. It is only through each other that we may face the challenges and tensions of modernity, our climate, and the violence here and around the world. We pray this through the one who reminded us that our actions towards one another are actions towards your holy divinity, Christ. Great healer, the light in which we see, who underpins all we do and sparks the miracle that is life. We pray for the miracle intentions of life, the good, the bad, the joys, the sufferings, the hopes, and the despairs. We pray that day by day, we may continue courageously to face the tensions, celebrate the joys, and grow in the adversities. We pray for those in our community who need your presence, that we may be your presence for each other. We pray for those in our community who are celebrating and those who are mourning. We pray that we may accept what we must accept, that we may have the valor to seek change in what we can change, and that we may have the percipients to know the difference between what can be changed and what must be accepted. For in every moment, we have a choice to act, to grow, and to live, and our lives are miracles. We pray this through the one who reminds us that our lives encompass all, Jesus Christ. And it is in Christ's holy name that we pray, amen. And as our Savior Christ has taught us, we boldly pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power in the glory forever and ever. Amen.
The peace of the Lord be always with you. And also with you. My name is Nick Rodriguez, and I'm the Ministry Associate for Outreach and Engagement. We welcome you once again to the nave of Marsh Chapel and hope you'll take a moment to help us get to know you better so that we can help you get to know one another better by putting your name and contact information in the red books found along the center aisle of each pew. Children's Education will be opening their Peace and Justice Library today. For more information, visit Coffee Hour following the service where Mahalia will share details. There will be a spiritual paint night, Painting in the Spirit, on Friday at 7 p.m. in the Marsh Room. To RSVP, please email Jessica Chica at jchica at bu.edu. Now, for an announcement from Music at Marsh Chapel, here's Scott Allen Jarrett. Please raise your hand if you like music. Please keep your hand raised if you like the music of Bach. Keep them up, that's good, that's good. Next Sunday begins our 13th annual survey of Bach's cantatas with Cantata 41. Uh, and I want to invite you especially, of course, to the service in the broadcast at 11 a.m., which includes full performance of Cantata 41. But at 9.45, the musicians, players, singers, all will be here in the nave to guide you through a 30-minute uh, uh, journey of the piece to give you some things to listen for uh, with the music. Come to that moment, enjoy a moment of breakfast together downstairs with the musicians, and uh, get inside this music. To that end, in the narthex on your way out, Meg Weckworth, our music program administrator, will be there to greet you and to offer you a listener's companion to this year's cantata series with notes and insightful information about what you will hear. Come, be welcome next week, 9.45. For all other upcoming services and activities, we would encourage you to keep an eye to the Marsh Chapel website, bu.edu chapel, where you may also find the opportunity for online giving. Also, for an overview of activities for the semester, we invite you to pick up a fall term book downstairs. Now, walk in love as Christ loves us in offering and service to God.
Dear God, thank you for blessing us with the gifts we bring before you today. Bless those who will receive these gifts and grant them your peace. In all this we pray. Amen.
ocean and the night surrounded my little life with a reassurance that could not be affronted by any human behavior. The ocean at night gave me a sense of timelessness, of existing beyond the ebb and flow of consciousness. Death would be a small thing, I felt, in the sweep of that natural embrace. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace now and forever. Amen.